But I seriously had a look at like death in the in the eyes, and I tried to write this list of all the things that I need to do before I die. New things, and there wasn't one thing on that list. That list was empty. So your bucket list was empty? Yeah, pretty much empty. Good on like you. I'm good. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Business Insider calls Peter Levine, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, an astoundingly accurate accurate futurist. Is that accurate? Um, That's probably a little little bit of overkill, but um, yeah, I try to... Well, what have you predicted right? You certainly predicted GitHub, right? Well, that's true. Um, I, I enjoy thinking... Out of the box on what some of the you know what some of the new trends might be. It is an overkill. Andreessen Horowitz invested an original one hundred million dollars into GitHub in twenty twelve. Microsoft bought GitHub for seven and a half billion. Peter was also very early to cloud computing. Other ones have been this whole sort of evolution of cloud computing into edge computing, which has been one of those things that I sort of thought about. Um, Early on, and one of the now Levine has pulled away from regular investing. We'll get to why later, and instead is gifting millions of his own money to create the Levine Impact Lab to combat climate change. What is an impact lab? So the Impact Lab is uh, a joint project with the Honold Foundation, to where I felt we could offer venture capital-like services to nonprofits, okay? And, you know, when I came here to Andreessen Horowitz, there was a new model where Ben and Mark and, you know, the early team, I was part of the early team here, uh, we really did sort of a new model in venture capital where there were a number of services that uh, we provide to companies that was a very new thing at the time. A lot of other venture firms have sort of, you know, done that since uh, those original days. By what you days. mean, the, the idea that a venture capital firm does more than just writes a check and says, good luck. Correct. And conduct- more, and, yes, and more than just the general partners sitting on boards, right? It right. always would be money plus general partner on the board. Here, there's a bunch of uh, additional services, whether it's marketing, fundraising, uh, recruiting, all of those pieces, which every company needs to Every company does those things, and so we have centralized services. And you're to doing it for that. nonprofits. And so my view was, why don't we 
take that model and provide it to non to nonprofits to where it is more than just the money, right? And in the same way that you just said, for venture capital, it's more than just the money. I believe that the uh, the help and services that this the Impact Lab can provide to nonprofits um, will perhaps be transformational for that community. And this explains why your money that you're giving is a gift because you can't take a percentage of a nonprofit. Yeah, it it. Right. We the, coming into this, I had a lot of different. It's actually an interesting point. Well, because yeah, there are there are lots of firms that are going to change the world and make it a cleaner place that are going to make money. Exactly. Like we could have done investing in you know do good companies, right? Um, or just make these gifts. But I wanted to make it um, less about the monetary return and more about providing a framework where nonprofits can really benefit from the types of programs that we're offering. As Peter mentioned, his Impact Lab is teaming up with the Honold Foundation, created by Alex Honold. Some of our listeners may not know who that is. Who is Alex Honold? Well, Alex Honold, he's a philanthropist. (laughs) (laughs) Because he started, actually, so Alex Honold is a a world-famous professional rock climber, and for for those... um, for those listeners who, well, you'd know Alex Honnold if you saw the movie Free Solo. Yeah. He uh, is, I mean, he's an incredible athlete and and notable for his ascents of these insane without rock ropes. walls without a rope, right? Yeah. I mean, and I often say that people, even with a rope, with you know, normal people couldn't do one move that he's doing thousands of these moves on you know, rock walls all around the world. So he's an, he's an incredible athlete. That said, one of the things that I found particularly interesting about Alex, notwithstanding his athleticism and all that, was that very early on, he said, I'm going to take half of my salary and start this Honnold uh, Foundation. Half of his salary in way early days, I mean, was an incredible act of philanthropy on his let, let part. Let me interrupt and ask a question. I'm sure yeah. a listener is thinking to himself, do do rock climbers get paid a lot of money? I don't I mean I'm not a professional rock <laughs> climber so I don't know, but but nonetheless but, half but, of his salary. But nonetheless, yeah. well, you know, half of a little bit, let's say it's a little bit to start with. Sure. Half of a little bit is like yeah. very interesting More than that I'm he would contributing. Jump, yeah. Uh, exactly. And so now, I mean, I'm sure with the endorsements, the, the endorsements yeah. and movies and all that. I have no, you know, I of course have no idea, but it's. I'm certain it's gotten greater over the years. Yeah. And so, but his commitment early on to go do this with like a little, a little bit, and say I'm going to take half of a little whatever sure. it was, yeah. is amazing to me, right? And that's what I really am drawn to Alex's commitment to give back at that level. Is really the element that 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 drew me close to him, and then we had a lot of discussion. I've become friends with him over the years. I mean, I go rock climbing myself, and ice climbing. I've done a bunch of mountaineering over the course of my life, so we have a common interest there. But I would say that our real interest is in this philanthropic uh, model, where both of us, through our collective interests and all that, can you know somehow make a change in in 
society. And you, I mean, I don't question his dedication for a minute, but you also found him to be knowledgeable as far as running a foundation that has anything to do with green energy and, and environmentally well, sensitive topics. He's, uh, he has educated himself on, you know, a lot of the solar projects that they work on and yeah, the foundation, I mean, the foundation is also run as an independent entity. It's not him that actually spends all the time running it. Quick fact check on that with Emily Tightsworth, who runs the Honold Foundation. You know, he's been really conscious about hiring people who complement his own expertise and perspective. And so we've got a team of people who've worked in the nonprofit and philanthropic space for a long time. And I'm bringing about 20 years of experience working in nonprofits and foundations to this work. I wanted to share some photos, never before seen photos. And uh, you can see them right on the slide here. That's a clip from Peter meeting with Alex Honnold at a conference. He's conducting one of those fireside one-on-one interviews. And Peter's showing the audience a picture of himself climbing a wall of ice that seems to be a mile high. You mentioned you yourself are a climber. During a fireside you conducted with him at a conference, you showed him a picture of you climbing some sort of of ice wall. Describe that picture to people who can't see it. um, so it was. It was kind of. A, it was not kind oh, of. It was a it was total a, flex. It was, it was a, a joke, <laughs> right? I mean, not. I do. I actually do. I really do. Yeah. Go ice climbing and climb big frozen waterfalls and all that. But it was. It was funny. I've invited Alex to come ice climbing with me, and he's like, "Oh, it's too cold." Whatever you know, which is sort of the the professional athlete comment that you know. Like, oh, it's too cold for me. You know, if you, if you just invite, go. If, if you, you invite <laughs> Shaq to go one on one, he's exa- going to find a reason not to do exa- it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, there's always like the stock answer let's stay, on why let's they stay can't friends. go, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, let's stay friends. <laughs> but honestly, I've always found ice climbing a little too, a little too sketchy, a little too risky. I know. Which, uh, which, so, which kind of makes me wonder we, about how you manage we, risk. Uh, Alex speaking at that fireside with Peter. As opposed well, I mean, to I know I genuinely don't like ice climbing. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. It's, uh, it's cold, it's unpleasant, it's really painful, it's, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> and you it's go. dangerous. I mean, it is legitimately dangerous. Now, we all know the punchline to the joke is because it's there. You know, why climb the mountain? But why climb the mountain? Um, you know, for me, uh, and you could, I, I think for a lot of climbers, especially in our, let's say for me, where I have a, there's a whole life outside of climbing. When I'm on a ice wall, a rock wall, you have to be really focused, right? Like, and being in that environment strips away all of the outside commotion that fills our mind, right? And it's one of those purifying moments where if you don't focus, you know, serious shit could happen. So it does require. Um, you had to kind of let go of the rest of the world. And I find that to be very, um, very liberating and very relaxing. It's also like most climbs have ratings on them, right? All climbs do, whether ice climbs or rock climbs. And there's always an opportunity to get better. And Mm -hmm. it's a real uh, sense of satisfaction when you climb to the top of some of these things. And it's like, wow, I actually did it. I mean, it's an amazing feeling to get to the top. And, uh, that's why, you know, so it's beyond just because it's there. I mean, there's a real sense of satisfaction. It's tremendously athletic. It's a great workout. Um, and it does allow 
for me to, you know, for me to escape all the, you know, again, the chaos of everyday life. It is also dangerous. It's Yeah, it is dangerous. Um, no doubt. Of course, without a rope is way more dangerous. Ooh, yes, but it's still dangerous <laughs> with a rope. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, it's. You said once, I want to double down on life experiences. Why is that? Well, um, it's, uh. A couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I think this is it's a well man. I have a blog post on this and all that. Um, prior to that, I mean, I still did all this climbing and all that. That was a life changing event for me. And here I'd been healthy my whole life, and you know, you hear about people getting cancer, and you say, "Well, it can't happen to me." Like those are those other people; they didn't take care of themselves or whatever. And then it happens to me, right? And what became clear is that, and everyone will say this, like there's more to life than just work and more to life than just like being focused on one thing. Nobody ever said on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at work. Right. But no one internal, really like, okay, everyone like it's a very obvious thing, but then everyone works like all the time. And, you know, it doesn't seem to change and it's fine to work. I, you know, no question. And you know, look, if you enjoy working, which I do, I love what I do, then it's great, right? But I think that doubling down on experience, I have this interesting relative to my cancer diagnosis. I have an interesting, a really interesting um, exercise that I went through. So I had a period of time between I was diagnosed and when I had to go for this pretty massive surgery. And I sat down and I said, okay, I'm going to make a list of all the things that I need to do before I die. Like I thought maybe I would die and my, the surgery was super complicated. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to die on the operating table and then I won't recover, whatever. So I uh, sat down and I, I tried to write this list of all the things that I need to do before I die, new things. And there wasn't one thing on that list. That list was empty. Okay. So then I made a new, another list, all the repeat experiences that I want to have in my life. And that list was full. So your fucking things. list was empty. Yeah, pretty much. Empty. Good on like you. I'm good. I'm good. Like I, I mean, I had a, it's like a, I mean, you know, now it seems like, oh, well, like it's em- really is it empty and all that. But I seriously had a look at like death in the, in the, sure. in the, 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 in the eyes and say, okay, Am I, and maybe it was a little bit of self-rationalization. Like I had to, I had to be okay with like, this is it. So maybe, but pretty much, I mean, I, I did really feel, cause I had a number of months there before my surgery. And I said, you know what, if I don't see the great wall of China, which I haven't seen, or haven't seen this, you know, all the seven wonders of the world or whatever it is, I'm good. However, the repeat experiences and doubling down on, exp- that's what I mean. And there's a lot of them with friends and family and, you know, just going out again, a lot of outdoor stuff, a lot of being with friends, but wasn't what was not on that list was like, you know, work harder, right? It was not, it was really doubling down on. And when I say doubling down, it's exactly that double down, triple down on, on experiences. So, um, I'm trying to tick through that list now. Right. And this is one of those things, right? Helping being philanthropic the and the future yeah. and all that stuff. Right. We started with talking about you being a predictor of the future and you <laughs> touched on AI. 
Uh, and I'm sure there are people who want to hear more about that. What is your prediction as far as uh, artificial intelligence and, and how it will affect us? Well, I've, I have been a big uh, believer that AI will become a part of every application that we use. So as, you know, as we use applications and whether they're for professionals or for consumers, AI will become a property of, the, of those applications. I'll either even go, I did a TechCrunch thing, um, uh, a speaking thing a couple of weeks ago, and um, I don't know if, well, I don't know if folks are familiar with a new program called Dolly. And that is a, it's a uh, way of typing text into your computer. And what's very interesting about Dolly and what this notion of composite AI is, is I type in, let's say, you know, uh, dancing panda bears throwing a football. Okay, something crazy, right? And there is no stock image of a dancing panda bear throwing a football, okay? So what composite AI does is it takes that text string and actually creates a picture as if an artist were drawing dancing panda bears and not a grabbing football. it as, as say clip art but Correct. rather there's no, it knows what a football looks like it knows it, and it knows it knows yeah. what throwing is it yeah. knows what dancing is knows it knows what how panda big bear the football should knows. be in relation to the Correct. panda bear so this is what's called composite ai mm -hmm. that the image is actually a composite developed in real time it's as if you have an artist in the back room mm -hmm. sort of drawing this real quickly and that to me is is now that to me is the start of a very interesting sort of future in whether it's applications or our interface with computers where you could imagine that being not so much draw me panda bears throwing a football which is interesting technologically but imagine for a business if i said give me all the sales reps in uh emea that have, you know, beat their quota and sold X number mm -hmm. of, you know, things, whatever. The point being, so you're not you, instructing the computer what to do. You're instructing the computer, to you're give, requesting the outcome. Yes. So, exactly. And I, I've used this quote in the past, up until right about, you know, a couple of years ago, applications have, have given us the data, mm -hmm. okay? Now the reverse is going to happen where the data is actually going to give us the application, okay? That the data is there. We're going to ask the data for information, and it's going to, it's actually going to create a real pro, a program, if you will, or a response based on the data that's in there. So the application doesn't necessarily create the data anymore. It's the data that creates the application. And I think that that's the interesting thing. And these, like, imagine you can ask, you know, and there's so much data out there that, I would say deserves to be composited through this uh, textual or you know voice interface, whatever it might be, and I think that that will be quite transformational in terms of computing, and we can see it. Like who thought that you could type something in and a drawing would come up based on a drawing that doesn't exist? It's fascinating. Peter Levine, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz and founder of the Levine Impact Lab. 
Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.